Good morning. morning. It's really lovely to be with you again. The older I get, I need my specs now. Getting sad. This is the fifth year in a row that I've been here, so obviously you keep asking me back. Thank you. Um, Does anyone have a favourite board game? This is Cluedo. Any others? Risk? Oh, yeah. Scrabble, Scrabble, yeah. All, all, it's, as we start to, you know, all the Christmas cards in the shops now, and we start to think about Christmas, that's always a time for board games. This is mine. This one, uh, this is a family heirloom. This is older than me. <laughs> I have to say, it belongs to my mum and dad. Monopoly is mine. Um, and, you know, when that, there probably were only a handful of Monopoly variations when that came out, because it's about 50 years old. Um, guess how many types of Monopoly you can get now? Anyone like to hazard a guess? Do you know there are over a thousand? Would you believe? I know. Over a thousand editions of, and some of the most obscure ones that I found is that there's a Cat Lovers edition, there is a Barbie edition, there's an ABBA edition. Basically, no matter who you are, what you're into, where you're from, there is a, a, there's a Monopoly game for you. Um, now imagine you were playing Monopoly, I think everyone kind of knows how it works, and you're playing with a friend and you know how it goes, they've got, the, they've got Mayfair and Park Lane, they've got a hotel on both, and you land on Mayfair. You know, all your money goes, you end up bankrupt, game over. We've all been there. But imagine the next time you go to play, the board, rather than you getting the same amount of money again, you're starting from scratch, the board is set up exactly as it was when you left off. And your friends got all the money, got the hotel on Mayfair and Park Lane, and you've got nothing. You would have something to say about it, wouldn't you? You'd be wanting the rules changed. You certainly would be like crying out that it was unjust. But sadly, that really is a bit of a reflection of how the world works today. Every generation inherits the wealth or the poverty of the generation that's gone before. Um, And it's a really, really difficult cycle to break out of. But in the Old Testament, God set things up for his people so that it wouldn't be like that. And every 50 years, they had a thing called Jubilee. And we're going to look a little bit about Jubilee this morning. And at the time of Jubilee, once in a generation, if you'd had to sell your property because you'd fallen on hard times then that property was restored to its rightful owner. And also debts were cancelled and slaves were set free. It was a bit like wiping the slate clean, like you're getting to start your monopoly game with the same amount of money each generation. And we've been thinking a lot about this idea of Jubilee at Tear Fund this year because it's our 50th anniversary. And for 50 years, we've been working hard to try and reset the board so that for the poorest people around the world, they were helping to break them out of that cycle of poverty and just giving each generation a new chance to flourish. So we're going to look at this whole concept of Jubilee in the Bible this morning. So we're going to start in Leviticus 25, and that's where the idea, where God initially um, brings in this concept of Jubilee. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, or it's going to be on the screen. I'm reading for the English Standard Version, so it's not going to be exactly the same. So we're going to start from verse 8. At the start of this chapter, there's been instructions on the Sabbath year, where every seven years they were to let the land rest, they weren't to to, to grow crops, 
and every seven years debts were, were to be cancelled and slaves were to be set free. And then comes in verse 8 these instructions on Jubilee. Count seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then sound the trumpet everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows itself or harvest the untended vines. For it's a jubilee and it's to be holy for you. Eat only what's taken directly from the fields. In this year, the jub in this year of jubilee, everyone's to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, don't take advantage of each other. You're to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you're to increase the price. And when the years are few, you're to decrease the price, because what's really being sold to you is the number of crops. Don't take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws, and you'll live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you'll eat your fill and live there in safety. And then it's talking about the Sabbath. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or harvest our crops? I'll send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you'll eat from the old crop and continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes. The land shall not be sowed in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So God, set, God has set up this year of Jubilee, this 50th year, and it was to be a really significant one for Israel. And the words come Jubilee, they were to proclaim a Jubilee. The, the word comes from the sound, the blast of a trumpet as this Jubilee was proclaimed. So in this 50th year, if you had fallen on hard times and you'd had to sell out, to sell your property, it was restored to you. God was giving um, people the opportunity to flourish and you know, they had this, it really was important that everyone had an equal distribution of the land. It meant that the wealthy people couldn't accumulate all the land for themselves and all the power didn't lie with particular people. And this gap between rich and poor didn't become like an ever-growing chasm like we see today. It meant that the economic collapse of one generation didn't punish successive ones. And it's important to say that this was about restoration, it wasn't about charity. It gave families the opportunity to be able to provide for themselves rather than depend on others. And I was just in Malawi in the summer and it really struck me how important this is for people. They, see, they feel such a sense of shame when they, when they can't grow their own crops and they have to sell themselves out as labourers for others. And it really brought that home to me. You know, it restored people's social dignity when they got their land back. They could be a fully functioning member of the community again. They could be part of their extended family because they would all live close together. And the family was really the place of identity and security um, and responsibility for people in Israel. So, so why was this important to God? I think verse 23 here is a key one where it says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Be your strangers and sojourners with me. A couple of things to bring out from that. First of all, God says the land is mine. 
It was his and Israel were receiving it as a gift from God. The land was like a symbol of their relationship with God. You, you'll remember that when they were obedient, and um, they got to stay in the land. And if, well, after persistently being disobedient, eventually they got expelled from it. So living in your portion of the land, it was like a sign that, of, of you, that you were a member of God's covenant people. I think it was also a reminder to hold it lightly. It was a gift from God. You know, that verse says, you, you are strangers and sojourners with me in the land. They were God's guests. They were like resident aliens. God was the landlord and they were the tenants. They didn't really have rights other than what God mandated for them. And that wasn't to deny them of anything. It was a sign of their particular relationship, this special relationship um, that they had. They were like protected dependents in the land. And, you know, it was about dwelling with God. He said, you're sojourners with me. This is about our relationship. And there's something about, you know, God wanted them to see that this amazingly generous gift he'd given them was to overflow into, that they were to be generous with each other. The same principle lies behind why they were to release slaves every seven years. You know, in that chapter in Leviticus, the Exodus, them being freed out of Egypt is mentioned three times. And it's mentioned twice again in the next chapter. And there's this interesting connection between them being brought out of slavery um, and them not to take, make slaves of each other in any kind of permanent way. And I've been reading through 1 Corinthians 6, and it, it struck me as I was preparing for this that how much more is that the case for us? That 1 Corinthians 6 is where it talks at the end about, you know, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so honour God with your body. That passage is speaking specifically about sexual immorality, but it applies to everything. And I thought, you know, we, we are also called to be strangers and, and sojourners in the earth, to hold everything lightly, to recognise that all that we are and all that we have belongs to Jesus. And this jubilee also took place on the Day of Atonement. It was the day in the year where Israel, their, their sins were atoned for. They, they received this fresh understanding that they were forgiven by God. And again, that's the connection. As they realized they were forgiven, so that generosity was to overflow to each other. So we're going to move on a little bit in the Bible to Isaiah 61, which also kind of broadens out our jubilee theme. I'm going to be reading from verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This, there's lots of similarities of language here between Leviticus 25 and this idea of jubilee and the, and the year of the Lord's favor that it talks about. That was the proclamation of jubilee. Isaiah is, is prophesying here about an anointed one that's not going to just call a jubilee, is going to come, is not just going to call a jubilee once a generation, once in every 50 years, but he's speaking about this time that's going to come 
where people are going to, who are captive to poverty and oppression are going to be freed permanently. And the concept of Jubilee here also broadens out. It becomes not just a physical thing, not just a physical release of debts or the restoring of land, but it becomes like a metaphor for spiritual and emotional restoration too. A time of, 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 of transformation of body, soul and spirit. And that was God's heart for his people. That no matter how wayward they were, no matter how far they had gone from him, that he was promising that, that a day would come when they would be living in restoration. And so the people of Israel have this great hope that the Messiah is going to come and is going to bring in this permanent state of jubilee. So when Jesus comes along in Luke 4 and opens up to this passage, that's the context of it. And we're going to read a few verses in Luke 4 from verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. There it is again. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's the significance of what Jesus was doing. He was saying, I am that one, that one you've been waiting for to bring in this era of jubilee. No wonder the eyes of everyone were fixed on Jesus. He's saying, I'm the one who's come to bring in this holistic salvation this restoration, body, soul, and spirit of everything that's been promised. And of course, he, star he, he started that, that period with his coming and he'll complete it in fullness when he comes again. So the theme of Jubilee is being used very much by Jesus here as being like a metaphor of all that he came to accomplish. And I think one of the interesting things we can learn about the gospel and about the ministry of Jesus here is its holistic nature is its roots in that idea of jubilee. And we can sometimes, I think, in the church today, almost lose the sense of the physical restoration that Jesus came to bring because we move so far to the spiritual. But for Jesus, it was about everything. He's come to proclaim liberty to the captives that isn't just about forgiveness of sins. It was about freedom from economic oppression, from every injustice, from healing and, and all sickness, all emotional pain and grief. You can see that throughout the ministry of Jesus, can't you? He doesn't just forgive sins, he heals bodies. He teaches a lot on financial generosity. He uses stories where debts are being forgiven. And some Bible commentators even believe that in the Lord's Prayer, where it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that there's a physical element of, of forgiving debts in that too. That's also how the early church saw it. And it's interesting, you're going to be looking at Acts in the next few weeks. As they outworked this concept of jubilee for them, this year of God's favour, the Spirit's been poured out in the church and we don't just see them teaching and preaching. We see them healing the sick, we see signs and wonders, but we also see this radical generosity. They hadn't lost the physical side to that, the economic side of this transformation. It says in Acts... Um, 
you know, in Acts 2, one of the hallmarks was they sold their property and their possessions so that none would be in need. In Acts 4.34, there was no needy person among them. That was a direct quote from Deuteronomy 15, talking about those Sabbath years when debts were cancelled and slaves were set free. They understood this whole idea of jubilee and all that it meant, and that it included um, body, soul, and spirit. It included finances being moved around so that nobody was lacking anything. That that was as much a sign of the kingdom of God coming in their midst as the healing of the bodies and the forgiveness of sins. And I guess, you know, at Tear Fund, as we've been reflecting on 50 years, we very much see our role as being just calling the church to remember that. As we've been thinking about Jubilee, we felt a really strong sense of call back to Isaiah 51, particularly verse 1, where it said that, that, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's because the spirit of the Lord was on Jesus that he was anointed to bring good news to the poor. And we've been taking time this year as an organization to be just praying for the spirit to come and anoint us, that we would also bring that same good news to the poor. And over the last 50 years, because of generosity like pe- with people like you and because of our amazing partners around the world, we have seen lots of people experience Jubilee in its fullness. And we're going to watch a short film for a few minutes before I come back. We could stick that film on. We believe restoration is available for everyone. Motivated by the relentless love of Jesus, we're helping individuals and communities unlock their God-given potential and discover that the answer to poverty lies within themselves. In the 50 years since we started, Working alongside local church partners, we have seen millions of people across the world released from poverty. People like Birungi. My name is Birungi. I am from a village in the rainforest of the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is a country full of potential, but after years of fighting, life is hard for families and it is especially hard for girls. My family has always been poor. When I was younger, I had to stay at home to look after my little brother and sister. I wanted to care for them, but I really wanted to go to school. I knew that if I studied hard at school, I could get a job. But school was too expensive. My uncle heard about a skill center supported by Tiafan's partner. All are welcome, even children who have never been to school. When I heard there was a place for me, I was so happy. They told me how Jesus offers freedom to everyone. I qualified and got a sewing machine to start a dressmaking business. I started earning. I then saved for a better sewing machine powered by pedals. I then saved more to buy a piglet. I sold the adult pig and had money to buy a calf. I'm now saving for more calves. When I sell my cows, I will be able to buy land or a house. When I'm sowing, I feel empowered. I wanted to be set free. 
And I was. Without my training, I would still be at home, without even enough food to live on. I would be suffering. I thank God for this work and how TFN support set me free. Birungi has overcome extreme poverty. She has a hope and a future restored to her and is now a role model in her community. But 87% of people in the Democratic Republic of Congo still live below the poverty line. Too many lives around the world remain broken. We believe an end to poverty is possible and we all have a part to play. We won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop. Until poverty stops. Until poverty stops. Will you join us? So, that lady, Burungi, lives in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which, with 80 million people, is the second largest country in Africa. But as you saw there, it's um, also, despite being very rich in natural resources, it's also the second poorest country in the world. 87% of the people live below the poverty line. And that's pretty much because it's just been devastated by ongoing conflict and it's left it really fragile financially, um, politically, socially. And the needs are, are really great there. But so too is the opportunity for God to come and to bring restoration, to bring jubilee. Burungi lives in a really, really remote village in the northeast of the country. And it's so remote that if you wanted to go to visit her from the nearest town, you'd have to drive in a truck, go across a river in a boat, and then go on a motorcycle for a really long time just to reach where her community are living. And many people would just be put off by that type of journey. But our partner, Action End Trade, who are doing that work there, are so driven by the love of Jesus that they're willing to just go that extra mile and do what it takes to find where the poorest of the poor are. And by empowering people with skills and, and training, like you saw in that video, they're helping people break the cycle of poverty, not just for them, but for generations to come. The word action end trade means self-help. It's a French word. And people are not just being given handouts or aid. They're actually being taught that the answer to poverty lies very a lot of it within themselves, that there is something that they can do. Rungi was the eldest child in her family, but she didn't get to go to school like the boys in her community. She had to stay home and look after the other uh, younger siblings. And um, obviously that's robbed her of opportunities. She was just expected to marry an older man and bring in a dowry and provide it a little for, for the family. But it was her uncle who heard about the workshops that were being run through his local church and believed that there was more for Burungi. He was the one that, that encouraged her to go along and that's where she learned to sew and she was given her first sewing machine. And she started a business making clothes and once she saved up enough, she was able to buy a better machine and she could start investing in livestock. And once you've got livestock, you really are able to have financial stability. And using her gifts and skills in this way, really for the first time, Burungi's eyes were opened. Her dignity was restored. She had a sense of self-worth. She realized that she was a child of God and that he'd given her gifts and talents to actually do something to make a difference. She, as it said there, has a hope and a future now. She doesn't live in poverty any longer. She has been set free. She has experienced jubilee. Her relationship with God has been strengthened in the, in the middle of all of this. 
She has the ability to make choices for herself, and it won't be the same for her children and for subsequent generations. Her story really is one of redemption and restoration. It is a story of jubilee, and in our 50th year at Tear Fund, we're just enjoying telling these stories, but also reminding people that there are so many others like Burung who have not had the opportunities yet that Burungi's had. You know, we've been talking about how God wanted things to run from a financial point of view, but you and I both know that that is not the way that the world works. That's, you know, we don't particularly have godly economic principles. And last year, 80% of the wealth that was generated went to 1% of the world's population. There's a statistic for you. The gap between rich and poor is huge. We know that. And we might not be that 1%, but in the world's terms, most of us in this room are the rich. And there are millions around the world who desperately need us to care, just like we would have for that game of Monopoly if it had been loaded against us. There's millions of people who desperately need us to care that that's not okay. So what does it look like for us as God's people to outwork Jubilee in our context, and our generation? Well, I think it starts with us seeing just like the early church that we are the ones who are anointed now to carry on that ministry of Jesus to be bringing good news to the poor and that that good news is body soul and spirit to see those captives being set free here on our doorstep and in the furthest flung places in the world the people that we'll never meet and just reiterating what I said earlier I think it also means that we consider ourselves to be strangers and sojourners as we're passing through our time here, that we see again that we've been bought with a price and that we're, we're not our own. That all that we are and all that we have belongs to Jesus. Those of us who have said, I do to him, we've entered into a covenant and we've made that commitment to say, it's yours, Lord, use it as you will. And I think importantly, it's about us seeing we need the Holy Spirit's help. That's the bit in Isaiah 61 that I've been stuck on. The spirit of the Lord's on me and he's anointed me to do this. The early church were anointed by the spirit of God to be living in that powerful, generous way. We need the Holy Spirit to come and help us to live like that as well. So just as as I finish, a couple of ways for us to respond this morning. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, and I, I presume that that's most of us in the room, I just want to invite you to take the opportunity this morning just to acknowledge again before the Lord that everything that I have is yours, Jesus. Everything that I am belongs to you. I've been bought with a price. And just experience his love in that place, that's that, that sense of belonging, that we belong to Jesus, but also the, the sense of responsibility that comes with it. Let's dedicate our time, our energy, our resources once again to him. And the second response I want to invite you to make is specifically related to Tear Fund. We couldn't do the work that we are doing, bringing jubilee, bringing restoration around the world if it wasn't for the generosity of people like you. And I know there'll be many in the room who are partnering with us in that, so thank you for your generosity. If you're not giving regularly to Tear Fund and that's something that's touched your heart today, then I just encourage you to fill out that little card or come and speak to me at the end. I'll be loitering somewhere. Um, it doesn't take a lot of money to transform the lives of people like Burungi and to put on those types of skills workshops. So I just would invite you to consider that. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the just a glimpse again into your heart and your purposes for, for, for Jubilee, Lord, for all that that means, for all you want wanted for your people, Israel, all you desire for us today. Father, thank you that you haven't left us alone, but you've given us your spirit, and we ask that you would anoint us afresh to be people who bring good news to the poor, to see captives set free, Lord. And we dedicate ourselves to you again, body, soul, and spirit, Lord, acknowledging that all we have is yours and all we are belongs to you. Thank you for winning us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for persisting with us and not letting us go, Lord, and help us today just to live open-handed and to release everything afresh to you. Show us what that needs to look like for each of us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.